Blog Talk Radio. You didn't call in. Yes. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start And they never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis, I'm your host This is MJ Network, and boy do we have a Blockbuster show today. The author of Hunting of Men, Lance LaRusso, is here. And hi, Lance. I'm so glad you made it. Obviously, oh, thanks for having time, me. I'm excited. There was a time problem, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I've, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I know, and I told him 10 o'clock. I just told him you were here because I didn't really want to talk to myself, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... He found me, whatever. So we're going to tell Johnny Tilms Smart, don't love this book, has great instincts and hopes to remain part of the homicide unit, but Willie. Things get tense and tough, and the ending will bring tears to your eyes when you read the final pages and one small piece of white paper. Johnny Till and his team will continue to go forth and never stop the hunting of men, because I take it there's a sequel coming, I hope. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, there never may be. I think Johnny's got Johnny's got a lot more uh, crimes in him to solve, and uh, readers oh, want to learn more a lot more about him. So, you know what I was what impressed me? I have tell us about Johnny Till and his background and why the homicide unit. But what really impressed me is, and I'm going to ask you that after, is how you created these different um, agencies and different law enforcement people that actually worked together and didn't try to kill each other. That that was impressive. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that, and that comes from actually being a cop. So the bottom line is um, Uh I set out to write a book that was not what Hollywood thinks police should be and not what television Mm -hmm. thinks police should be. So as I I told somebody one time, if you're looking for the alcoholic cop with seven ex-wives who can't carry on a conversation with anybody without cursing and hates the chief, then this isn't the book for you. If you want to know how real cops actually solve crimes – and how police departments get things done and work together and how forensics, you know, enters into it, then this is the book that you've been waiting for. Uh, so, you know, creating the characters and creating mm. the, um, the agencies was really based on some unbelievable people that I was honored to work with. Uh, you know, I wrote uh, uh, Hunting of Men, and mm-hmm. it's my first uh, full-length novel. I've written other books about law enforcement, and my wife, who uh, has a Ph.D. in psychology, which may explain why we've been married for so long, but um, <laughs> she said to me, you know, your female characters are really strong. And I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back and started looking at some of the scenes with these characters. And I said, you know, uh, as, you, have you, as you've read, the, uh, you know, he has a very strong partner. The police chief is a, is a woman. I said, that just reflects the very strong and dedicated female uh, cops that I worked with, that I got to know and that I've taught and lectured to and, and represented over the years. So, you know, it's very much of a, uh, a reflection of how real law enforcement is in the United States. 
usually they don't depict strong female characters, especially cops, in a positive note, positive tone. I, I've read, I, I lost count of how many books I've reviewed. Thousands, seriously. So when I get something that shows respect for police officers and they don't try to stab each other in the back, it makes me feel much better. Gives me back, back, back my faith in, in, the, in the, well, I have the faith in the police anyway. And I don't well, care what I appreciate they say. that, and, and, I'm, and they especially right now appreciate your support. Uh, you know, and it's, it's really, you know, you talk about why homicide, so kind of getting to that. Yeah. When you talk about homicide and the reason homicide crimes fascinate people, it is, it is just the ultimate taking and the ultimate loss wrapped up mm. in one instant. So I think that's why people are so fascinated with the crime stories and the, you know, the true mm-hmm. life crime um, novels, things like that. But, you know, so far as, as Johnny Till, Johnny Till starts out as a street cop. And he's a very good street cop. Mm-hmm. He goes to um, a unit that anyone who has worked in knows is extremely difficult. He works mm-hmm. fatality hit-and-run cases. So to give you an idea of, of two hit-and-run cases that I know how difficult they are, one of them was Ooh. a pedestrian uh, fatality where the only piece of evidence on the scene was a headlight lens, a piece of a headlight lens. And through some uh, examination, they determined that that belonged to a Rolls-Royce. And mm. true case. And you say, well, how hard could that be to solve? Well, it was in Naples, Florida. At the time, it was the highest combination, mm-hmm. highest population of millionaires in the United States. So it actually was a little bit more difficult than you imagine, but they were able to solve that. Another one was a hit-and-run where a trooper uh, in Georgia was on a traffic stop and was sideswiped with the side-view mirror of a car, and the driver took mm. off. Uh, he was very badly injured, but for his body armor, it probably would have killed him. And a very tenacious cop drove around on his off days and finally found the car. So mm. being a hit-and-run uh, fatality investigator is very difficult, and Johnny's just very committed to being a good uh, law enforcement officer, so he takes classes on his own and learns uh, trying to get into the homicide unit because to him, uh, just like you know the fascination with the public, it's the ultimate uh, crime to solve. So he is drafted into the homicide unit as the youngest officer, not only in mm-hmm. tenure with the department but with age. So quite a challenge. That that is that is great. That is so amazing. Because most people, you know, they, they would give him a hard time, rouse him, give him a bad time, and, you know, whatever. Especially when you saw, you know, from when I started teaching, I was 17 and a half, 18 years old, seriously. And, uh, <laughs> it, well, there's it, it, probably it was, a little bit of razzing that goes on, but, you know, there's a French yeah. saying, Kita takin bien tembien, so people who tease you yeah. well love you well. So there, there's going to be a little bit of that, especially as the new person. You've got to take blog. it. You've got to be able to take it. Now, this is really cool, the gun part. He, he t- Bastin wants him to take a different gun, and he kept his original gun. Didn't make him too happy with him. How come? You see, that would have been me. I would keep, if something is working, why break it? Keep what you want. Yes. So he, it's he interesting. That actually came out of a conversation I actually had mm-hmm. with a homicide detective when I was really? in the training unit of the police department. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So he... Um, he wanted, and to give you an idea how long ago it was, he wanted. We were carrying revolvers at the time, and he wanted the shorter barrel revolver because he got tired of, uh, you know, of carrying it. So obviously, it's the same amount of bullets mm-hmm. as the longer barrel, 
And I made that comment to him. It's like, so now you're, gonna, you're out hunting homicide suspects and you want a smaller gun? And the two of us had a big laugh about it. And that's when, you know, so a lot, of these, a lot of these interactions you see in here, these are real conversations I've had with people or that I've witnessed or heard about. Um, and it it's also gets to the formality of the police department as a paramilitary organization. Okay, there's somebody in supply that says, you went to homicide, you're a detective, you got to give up this gun and get issued this one. And it's kind of the first time people see mm-hmm. Johnny's loyalty to the department, but also the pushback. It's like, no, we're going to have the reality check here. I'm going to be hunting down homicide suspects, and I want as many bullets as I can get. Now, this is like an initiation, which I found fascinating, too. You see, I really, I read the, uh, by the way, I read, I could read 200 pages in an hour and a half, not even, 400 oh, pages wow. in about two hours, not even. So it depends. I get eye strained very easily just by reading. And I just sat down and read this. And then your um, publicist sent me some signed copies that people took in my building the minute they saw oh, me walking with them. Yeah, yeah, I'm very popular. I have to go uh, to a medical office to say, because she wants one of my books, not for any reason. I read how to copies brand new book, and she wants it. <laughs> That's how I don't have to wait. Well, we appreciate spreading the word. Just ask everybody to write a review on uh, Goodreads and uh, and Amazon yeah. and any place else that uh, that they can spread the it's word there. to. It's there. It's oh, there. I saw yours. I'm just talking about, you know, other folks. We we always hope that, yeah, you know, and, and, it's, they and will. also some of the um, – you know, a lot of the independent, uh, the blogs and other reviews, I think sometimes, mm-hmm. well, a lot of times, they don't get as much play as they should. All I know is that I posted your review, I reposted it this morning, yesterday, and about 10 people read it in five minutes. It's, it's Oh, that's great. It scares me sometimes. I'm like, I just posted that not even a second ago, and they read what I write. Well, what's comment. interesting about that, too, you know, that has a big effect for yeah. law enforcement as well. The proliferation yeah. of social media has really become a, uh, mm-hmm. a a tool not only for law enforcement, but also, uh, you know, we know that there are very anti-law enforcement groups on social media, and yeah, they can have an effect me. on the ability to uh, solve crimes. I will never complain about the men in blue or the fire department of NYPD when I used to live in the Bronx. When my mom had Alzheimer's and I had to call 911, I didn't have to wait maybe two seconds for them to come and help me. Yeah, so good I, I will never complain. I will never complain. <laughs> so this is really cool. He had an initiation. He had to pick a cold case in order right. to solve it. And he picked. Why did he pick the case of a cop? And if, um, finding the murderer of a police officer is different than finding anyone else. So why did he do that? I thought that was really good, though. Well, that, I appreciate that. that. So, yeah, so the setup um, of the book is that uh, everybody who's new in the homicide unit has to go pick out a cold case. And that's, you know, whether mm-hmm. it, they, they pick it out or it's picked for them, generally every homicide detective is going to have some sort of a cold case that, that they're working on. And sometimes it's just, you know, getting a little bit of a uh, – just you know getting a little bit of a fresh perspective on things mm-hmm. and sometimes it's hey this is your case you need to find a you know a break in it uh, so he goes into the room and he picks it quite by accident he just reaches out and grabs a file and the uh, major uh, bill worth says to him just let me know which one you pick we'll put it on the uh, roster on the list and then you can you know go about the rest of your day 
um, he realizes that he's picked the cold case of a murder mm. of a law enforcement officer, which is very rare. Mm. And one of the reasons it's rare is that, you know, the the location, the whereabouts, what they're doing, their, uh, the people that they associate with for law enforcement officers pretty much known. It's not like the person who's mm. laying dead in a field and nobody even knows who they are. So the other thing is we recognize that when a law enforcement officer is killed, especially as in this case in the line of duty, there's a lot of resources that are put forth. And I sat in my, um, in my kind of writing area and said, what would it do to a department? So it's not just that he picks this case and says, well, I'm not putting it back, you know, kind of go big or go home. Um, what would be going on in a police department if – a homicide of an officer couldn't be solved. And unfortunately, the department that I worked with, we had a couple of officers that were murdered in the line of duty while I was there, others that were killed by DUI drivers. And, you know, could you imagine the angst, the, the frustration and the anger and the loss of having to admit to the entire department as the homicide unit that you couldn't solve the murder of one of your own? So when Johnny takes this on, he knows that there's going to be a lot. You know, you said, how is it different? It's not just different in how it happens, mm -hmm. but as yeah. a cold case, the, mm -hmm. uh, the burden that you would have, opening old wounds, going and talking to people, and, you know, the spouse and children of that officer mm -hmm. are still out there waiting for answers and closure. That's, I know, that's scary. And so it says a lot about him don't... that he won't back down from a challenge. You see, he's like me. I don't back down either. When I want to know something, I'm going to find out. That's me. And that's good. I, yeah, it's, I'm terrible. If I want an answer to a question and you don't answer it, I'm going to find somebody that's going to find the answers so that I'm happy. Because sometimes you just need to find the answers. So what would happen if he can't change it? In other words, if he didn't want to do it, he, goes, he could, they wouldn't even know that he changed it. But he wouldn't in due conscience do that. They wouldn't know because he's by himself in the room picking out what he wanted. So he did, it didn't matter. But he wouldn't do that. So now, this is the other thing that impressed me, is that you gave him a girl partner. Oh, boy. Absolutely. And, and Well, and it's interesting, too, to when that? I gave him a, a female partner, that's one of the things my wife said she was very happy with, is, you know, they're partners. Mm -hmm. They're work partners. Yeah. There's no big secret about, you know, you know how are they going to uh, relate to each other? Mm -hmm. They're professionals. They work together. That's that's always one that I wonder because I met a lot of policemen. I, I, I interviewed tons of them, interviewed CIA, FBI, and everybody. And I wonder sometimes, how does the wife of a person feel about a female partner in, in real life? Uh, it's interesting. You know, in my experience, it just isn't an issue. You know, we really? and it and it yeah because yeah if you think about just the the average and this is again where television and movies kind of kick in yeah people work with people of the opposite sex all day long in in a very real sense you know we kid around about it but in a very real sense we spend more time with the people we work with than the people we're married to in a lot of situations especially when you start talking about. Yeah, I mean, you start talking about not only work, but, you know, you start talking about, you know, commuting and, you know, people leave the house at, at 7 o'clock in the morning and go to work. They, you know, they travel and they work for eight or nine hours with somebody and come home. They're only spending about six hours a day with their family. 
So it, it generally mm-hmm. does not become an issue. Men and women in law enforcement work together all the time without having a problem. And they don't. Nobody resents anything. That's amazing. That's called being a grown up. That's amazing. Yeah, it's called being a grown up and not watching TV and expecting to have answers. I know because exactly how work, TV, life works. I basically on TV, it's so different, which bothers me. So, who is Melanie Rast, and why does she disappear? And if she helps, she has to relocate. That was really cool. Yeah, so Melanie Rast is uh, is a character that comes up in the book, and she's tied yeah. to the murder of the officer. And, you know, it's a matter of uh, the secrets, and it's something that Johnny understands, and, and his major has a conversation with him. And it's basically a truth um, that I've learned from working with people um, who have solved cold cases and speaking to cold case investigators, there's only a few ways that a case gets solved as a truly cold case. Technology steps in. You know, this is where you hear the DNA wasn't able to be tested then and now it is. Um, somebody comes forward and provides information that either was not known or they were lying before. Or, and this, you know, sounds bad, but it's just luck. Uh, so as Johnny gets into this, he recognizes that there's probably a lot of secrets that were either not explored or weren't uncovered during the first few times. This is a 20-year-old case that this case was investigated, and obviously uh, this officer, um, uh, Mike Dunlop, worked as a school resource officer, so there was always some suspicion. Maybe he was, you know, having an affair. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he was having an affair, an inappropriate relationship with a student. So all of these questions come up, and then there's a student that disappears shortly after he dies. So that's where it comes down to that, and that's what really leads Johnny down the path that, wow, there is another angle to this that wasn't uncovered. And, you know, it's it's just like any other human relationship. We mm-hmm. all have situations in our families, for example. We're getting close to Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And we have situations that nobody was ready to discuss two or three years ago. But organically, we're sitting at the table after we're, you know, stuffed with turkey and everything, and somebody brings it up, and now, you know, everything just flows. So investigations can be like that, too. Facts can be uncovered that they just weren't ready yet, uh, or they weren't available to the original investigators. Sometimes they don't want to face it either, which is even sadder. Absolutely. You have to be ready. You have to be. Somebody has to be talking, and you have to be ready to listen. That's the exchange that has to happen. That's something. Yeah, my dad taught me how to do. You always have to listen to both sides before you make your decision, and then you make your own decision, and don't go by what anybody else says. Which is which is hard sometimes. So we have Anna Dunlap, his wife. How does she feel about the case being reopened? Does she welcome it, or does she want to keep it the way it is? Um, Again, real-life experiences with crime victims, uh, especially Mm -hmm. unsolved crimes. Every day, my heart just goes out to the people that have an unsolved case. Uh, Right now, it was just in the news. You can look it up. Uh, Your listeners can look it up. There was a 39-year-old homicide victim that was found who was just identified. And I can't imagine, especially when it's kids, I cannot imagine – what it's like to wake up every day and not know. And I've I've read interviews and I've heard interviews and I've spoken to crime victims who said at some point I just need to know. As horrible as it is that they found my, you know, my missing brother, it's better mm-hmm. than waking up for the past 8 years 
and not knowing whether he's alive or dead. So I think for Anna Dunlop, uh, any mm-hmm. um, survivor, uh, there would be the question of, well, somebody's going to take a run at it, but there also has to be, and he's cautioned, Johnny's cautioned about this by um, Major Worth, who's kind of his mentor, says, you know, she's heard this before, so be gentle. And realize that every time somebody says, um, we're going to try to find this this killer, um, there's a commensurate um, buildup and a fear of letdown because it's happened before. Very delicate balance. But obviously she well, wants us. justice for her for her loved one. Yeah, I know. Well, tell us about Major Worth. And when you put this, when you handle a case like this or any case like this, does he places himself in some kind of danger if the real killer happens to be close by? That would that would be you know people might hesitate to do that. Yeah, so uh, Major Worth, uh, really an- another conglomeration of some of the amazing yeah. people that I've met, true leaders in law enforcement. And they would be leaders if they were in the public sector, the private sector, if they were in the military, wherever they are. They just, I'm always impressed by people, and, and, and I'm sure all of your listeners know someone that just has an mm-hmm. unbelievable amount of uh, innate leadership ability. Mm-hmm. So Major Worth, uh, very much of a uh, stellar homicide detective in his own right, has served in the homicide unit two or three different times during his career, which is also not uncommon. He was a homicide detective. He was a supervisor there, and now he's running the show. Now he is the major and in charge of all the homicide investigators and the major crimes cases. And in knowing, I've been fortunate enough to know a lot of people who have been in that position, it's a lot of responsibility. It's, you know, being awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning three nights a week because your investigators are are into Mm -hmm. something. Um, It's also a lot of uh, highly public uh, cases where you know your officers are going to be on the front page and everybody's counting on them to make an arrest with a dangerous person running around. It also requires them to have a liaison and also be kind of the buffer mm-hmm. between, in this case, you know, Johnny and uh, the police, the chief's office. You know, what's going on with that case? Well, you know, I got it, chief. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let's, let's let this guy do his job. Um, you know, I'll give you the briefings. Um, and then also, you know, some of these folks with all their experience, just like any other profession, he gets to be the mentor for young detectives like Johnny. And we find mm-hmm. out that he was one of the people who um, saw Johnny standing out and saw the effort that he gave and was willing to give him a shot as a homicide detective. Well, I have to tell you, I'm sitting here. I take notes as I do this because I remember everything. And... um I'm just thinking of something for February because my show's booked until the end of May, believe it or not. It's like so- shocking. But I'm um, just great. thinking of something Something for February. I've interviewed FBI, CIA, police officers, and whatever. And I'm just wondering if each department, like you're in Georgia, right? Other yeah. people in New York City, other people in different states, Oregon. I wonder if they handled the type of cases that you handle in a different way. I think that would be an interesting thing for a panel show to see how different law enforcement agencies cooperate and how they work together and how different agencies in different states handle uh, murder cases or other things like that. that, that I'm just it would. curious. It, it would, and, it and would. I'll tell you another thing that I, that I learned that I wanted to express in this book. Mm-hmm. It's an unwritten kind of 
code among homicide detectives, male, female, old, young, it doesn't matter. If you're at your desk and a homicide detective from across the country calls you and says, I need help with my case and Mm -hmm. I think you have information or I have information from your case, you stop what you're doing and you take the call. Um, I've met people who have worked homicide for 15 and 20 years and turned down promotion after promotion because they loved what they did. Well, that's the point. That was something that my mom taught me, or my dad taught me. When I first started to um, teach, he said, do it if you want to do it. Don't do it because you have to do it. And we spent 36 years very happily do it. Well, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. That's exactly it. And my my students remind me about that on Facebook every day. They tell me I'm most tough, but we love you anyway, because without you, I'd be in jail. Some of them, that's how tough they were. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I, I just like okay, so I didn't cause too much trouble in your life. At least, at least they don't they they don't hate me. They love me. So, who is Jake and what happened? Tell us about this bank robbery. That was so, fascinating uh, too. It, and this is another thing that I wanted to kind of get across because we see this too much in movies mm-hmm. and television that people get the impression that a homicide detective has one case, that's all they have on their desk, and then they run that one down until they solve it, and then they get another one. They're juggling many, many files, plus they're still police officers. They still listen to the radio. They still get into things. They will still jump out and assist with a a crime in progress, and that's what happens here. Johnny and Holly are riding together, and they hear Mm -hmm. about a bank robbery, and uh, they respond not just because they're homicide detectives but because this is a danger to the community. This is the community they serve, and they have the training mm-hmm. and ability to make a difference, mm-hmm. so they get out, and it obviously goes very south. These are very committed robbers who decide they're going to mm-hmm. um, shoot and try to kill police officers and civilians in the area, and Jake is just like some people that I met, very dedicated um, uh, private citizens who care about their community they are lawful owners of firearms, and he is in the area and can't get out of the parking lot because the armed robbery mm. is going on at this bank, and he winds up intervening as a private citizen and saves uh, people's lives. And that's a story you know that happens me? more often than not. I wanted, peop- I wanted to tell that story. Yeah. Well, you know what bothers me is that when I'm reading a book or I listen to the news and a police officer gets killed, I get upset. I'm not just saying it. It bothers me because they're there for a reason. I think that this whole George Floyd thing really put a damper on everything, and they're just for people that are unusual. I don't consider them the norm, and that that, that bothers me because you don't give you you don't group everybody into the same mold because everybody's different, and they just happen to be not 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 the way I, I picture police officers. That's just me. Well, in the name of tolerance and in in speaking out against painting everybody with a broad brush, you can't paint all law enforcement officers with a broad brush either. That's right. So the character that I really didn't like, but he was interesting, was Heavy D. Well, you weren't supposed to like him. He's a bad guy. (laughs) I like Sometimes the bad guy gets really interesting. He's a real creep. He thinks he could get away with it. He has this sex trafficking ring, and that aggravates me because that goes on today. That really is going on as we speak. I know that. 
and oh, they can't absolutely. seem to stop it's a horrible it. Thing. So how how did you find how did you create this guy? I mean, he's really awful. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I wanted people to hate him. Uh, sounds like sounds like I did a good job. Um, you know, I knew about sex trafficking rings um, and the risks that they posed back when I was policing in the early 90s, um, all the way through to, you know, 2000. I mean, I've been at this since 1988 when I was first sworn in as a, uh, as a, a police officer with the Cobb County Police Department. So this notion of sex trafficking has just now come mm-hmm. to the forefront, but it is a scourge on our society. And People get this impression, and again, I I don't like movies about the you know the pleasant prostitute. I don't like mm-hmm. movies about um, that glorify the prostitution rings because that's not reality. The vast majority of women, overwhelming majority of women who are involved in prostitution around the world are victims, and the sex trafficking that's just now coming to light is not run by, you know, the misunderstood entrepreneur. These are horrible, horrible people. Mm-hmm. They 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 sell and buy children and young adults to sell as sex slaves. So Heavy D is supposed to be a bad guy, and he is um, feared in the criminal underworld, and he has associations with some very bad people, and he basically brings us the link between the murder of um, Mike Dunlop, the police mm-hmm. officer, and this sex trafficking ring. And that's, that's very similar to um, the way a lot of crimes are uncovered. Officers are doing good work, and you know people say, well, it was just luck you found that out. Well, it's amazing how luck is uh, 50% preparation and 50% hard work. So in the course of uncovering uh, this case, it leads him to Heavy D, and that leads him to this sex trafficking ring. Well, Heavy D really thought he was going to get away with this. And sometimes in these in books, they actually get away with it, or they don't get caught. And I'm saying that this is not going to happen. They wouldn't do this to me twice. They can't do this. Well, there's um, another part of this, too. Um, Yeah. I, I wanted to create characters that people understood are real bad guys. I don't yeah. care if everybody else wants to write a bad guy who's misunderstood. There is evil in the world. There are very bad people in the world who are bad people because they want to be bad people. That's they right. have chosen a path of crime over anything else, and they do not want to get on the straight and narrow. They like being involved in criminal activity. They actually justify their actions sometimes. I just finished reading. If anybody wants to read something really scary, it's not as scary as Hannibal Lecter or Silence of the Lambs, but um, Thomas Norman just wrote a Carrie Moore, and he's got a strong female character there. And the character that's bad is like, holy God, has no regard for human life whatsoever. You know, with he's, and he's selling kids and he's doing a whole bunch of stuff. I go, oh, my God. This, this, this like, gave me the creeps. So... This is really, I mean, these are things that people don't realize that are really happening now. So who are the other members of law enforcement that he works with that are going to help him? Because you had different different groups, and each one handled something different, which is really was impressive. That had, that had to be hard to figure out and do. Yeah, so the uh, obviously once you get into the realm of, uh, of investigating, and let's start with his own department, because once you get in the realm of investigating things like, um, murders and 
you know, catching bad guys, um, you have to have a lot of interaction with other units. You have the um, crime, the financial crimes unit is going to be involved. You have the intelligence unit who's going to help put together, you know, is this person in a gang? Are they involved in criminal enterprises? Have they been arrested before? Is anybody else looking for them? Um, mm-hmm. And then you also have uh, the tactical units, the people who, for all of the investigations, someone has to go knock on the bad guy's door and put them in handcuffs and take them in. And when you're trying to arrest somebody who has already manifested their intent to kill another human being, we don't just knock on the door you know, and stand in front of the door in nice shiny uniforms expecting them to give up. We hope they give up. But we expect the worst and then are pleasantly surprised by the uh, the opposite. So within his department, it's not uncommon for these investigators to have a lot of experience working with other units. When we start getting outside of the department, they have to work with groups like the Water Department and Public Works and um, other groups. They have to work with federal agencies and state agencies who may have information or jurisdiction or an ability mm-hmm. to uh, bring resources to bear that the average county police department wouldn't have. I have an odd question. I'm sitting here taking notes. Besides, the book is in front of me. I just went through it for a second. So we have Heavy D. And how did you create the scene with his lawyer? He actually thought he could cut a deal. I'm like, are you serious? They're not going to cut a deal with you. You know, he thought maybe he'd get less time, he wouldn't have to go to jail, or he could do it in a, in, a, in a beautiful, you know, luxury place, you know, where he can just you know, enjoy himself and keep going. So how did you create the scene with the lawyer? Because I wanted to smack this guy in the head. He got me really angry. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of lawyers that I know that do a lot of criminal defense, and they're fine people, and quite frankly, they mm-hmm. are the people that – make sure our constitutional rights are protected because every day mm-hmm. they have to be safely guarded or they'll go away. Um, the issue of uh, even despite what he has done, Heavy D trying to strike a deal is based on the reality. Uh, we had a murder, mm-hmm. uh, an officer murdered a few years ago in Georgia, and the person that murdered him had been given probation 27 times. Mm. So why wouldn't a person like Heavy D, who's been arrested before, think that he could get a deal this next time? Because it's worked in the past. So that struggle between the attorney and the lawyer mm. and the, um, the, the misinformation that happens a lot of times in Hollywood and, and mm-hmm. TV about interrogation rooms, there's an incredible amount of drama. There's an incredible amount of... Um, back and forth and matching of wits and and strategy that takes place in an interrogation room that gets lost. And I've had a lot of feedback from people. Um, The best feedback I've had from law enforcement officers, there's one review where an officer said, I've been doing law enforcement for 40 years. This is the most realistic book I've ever read. And then books, Mm -hmm. then reviews and feedback from people who are private citizens who said, this really told me how I expected it had to happen. It's not over in mm-hmm. 10 minutes. You know, there's going to be that give and take, and there's there's going to be, um, you know, having to match wits because in the real world you can't do what they do in television and, you know, beat up the mm-hmm. suspect and throw stuff around the room. Uh, yeah, I see that. You know, you've got to find a way to get them to deal with it. And I brought the prosecutors into the mix 
because that happens too. It's not the deal that struck with the detective. The detective deal doesn't matter. What matters is what the prosecutor is going to do and whether there's going to be any room for negotiation. I, I know. You know, it, bo- it bothers me because sometimes, you know, I, I watch Law and & Order, and I don't believe everything that happens on there, too, and you're right. People get beaten up constantly, constantly. And I was like, how did they get away with you know, smacking the criminal in the head? Although the criminal does deserve it sometimes. Well, but it's funny. You know, when I used to teach in the police academy a lot, um, I used to tell there were, and I don't want to say which one it was, but there was one TV show I used to tell the students at the beginning of the week of the search and seizure class. Um, mm-hmm. I would tell them to go ahead and watch that show every night because uh, it was on reruns and said you'll see mm-hmm. at least one illegal search in every single episode. I would imagine they do, and I have a couple of illegal searches in half the books that I read also. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, this is a question. We're not going to say why, but what happens when, if and when they find these kids that have been abused or whatever, how do they react to the police trying to get them out? Do they feel safe? Are they worried? Are they scared? Do they want, or or are they so brainwashed that they're afraid to leave the kidnapper? You know, it's a very, very tough thing to even talk about, but the experiences that I wrote about in the book are actually from accounts of people that I know that have rescued people from sex trafficking. So a lot of times it depends on how young they're taken because this may be the only life they know. They also are sometimes afraid that even if they get away, the people that are with them will be punished. Um, A lot of them have been made to be addicted to drugs. A lot of them have been uh, made to fear police. And we know from um, when these folks are rescued that a lot of times they go back to that life because it's all they Mm -hmm. know. And there's um, there's a real soft spot in me for the people that go out and rescue these folks um, who are in the sex trafficking industry. Uh, who have been trafficked, uh, but sometimes it's very difficult to pull them away just from the standard um, affinity that kidnapping victims will have for their captors. So people have heard of the Stockholm Syndrome. That's Mm. real, and that bonding uh, sometimes happens just from the helplessness, but sometimes, like I said, it depends on how young they're taken. Sometimes it's just all they know, and the only safe place they know is to do what they're told, and mm-hmm. uh, not be not be beaten. That's scary. But before I forget, Thursday, people, you want to read a scary trilogy? Third Degree. Russ Clavin, Charles Salzberg, and Tim O'Mara will be here to talk about it. And next week, my favorite person in the universe, one of the top New York Times um, authors in the world that scares me, that scares the daylights out of me, Vincent Zandri, the girl who wasn't there. Well, maybe she was, but I'm not going to tell you. On the 22nd, we have Murder Forgotten. On the 26th and 28th, I'm doing two different kinds of shows, two inspirational shows. Pastor Michael Jones will be here with the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Christians. I'm learning a lot. On the 28th, if you heard the beginning of the show, Trinity House will be here to talk about their latest song, Why Do We Wait? And I am totally honored. On November 2nd, D.P. Lyle will be here with Rigged. And he writes, was writing for Criminal Minds and Lauren Norda. So I am really excited about that. So Till, is one of, he's becoming one of my favorite characters. What changes it all for him? And why is solving this case paramount to him? Because he's not giving up until he solves it. 
Yeah, and it's really interesting. You know, detectives can have a cold case that sits on their desk, and they can do a little bit of work mm-hmm. here and there, and it stays cold. And, and I think he recognizes that one of the hardest things for him to do, especially as a new homicide detective, would be to have to take that case and put it back in the cold case room. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the reality is he's the youngster, and a lot of other very experienced people, it's very intimidating, a lot of other very experienced people have had to take that file and put it back in the cold case room. So he digs into it pretty hard. He knows that he's going to give it a run and he's going to give it all he has. And then once he realizes he has this, has some momentum, I think there's a recognition that, you know, it deserves his A game and uh, he's establishing his reputation. So if he gives up, and he has to walk back in and let his mentor down and say, you know, I think I bit off more than I could chew. All of us in our lives have had challenges like that where mm-hmm. we have to make a decision. Are we going to go forward and challenge ourselves and take ourselves to the next level, or are we going to give up? And as I've been telling people for years, especially in the police academy, giving up is overrated. It must be hard to go through the police academy, though. Do a lot of it people is. make it, or do they? Or do some of them just they can't do it? It's like going to army boot camp. Yeah, it depends on the academy. Um, some of them have very high dropout rates. Um, I've seen as high as fifty percent mm-hmm. dropout rates. Um, wow. Others have a different way of doing things, and then we have people that sometimes take a couple of tries to get through. They either get injured, or um, mm-hmm. you know, they they have to repeat classes and things, but. You know, despite what people think, law enforcement, and or some people think, I think the vast majority of people understand, law enforcement officers in the United States are very well trained. They go through a great deal of training and a great deal of evaluation before they're allowed to wear that uniform and go out and answer calls by themselves. Yeah, they get psychological help, too. They get evaluated, don't they? You know, they've got resources out there, and a lot of times what you see can uh, – mm-hmm can change you. There are a lot of things that I wish I could unsee. Um, mm-hmm. In On July 10th of 1990, I walked into a room where a guy was holding his girlfriend's three-year-old oh, son at knife point. Um, I wish I could unsee that. It's scary, I know, because it's not television where they, where they figure out a way to solve everything. Sometimes you can't solve it. So there's one other character. You see, I have the book in front of me, so I can just get into it. Mike Hancock. <laughs> what part does what what is part does he play? Before we get to the last ten questions, who am I in front of me? No, that's fine. So Mike Hancock, the uh, the SWAT commander. Um, yeah. So a lot of that is um, I wanted people to understand that you know it's, you know SWAT had its own TV show, but a lot of people have no idea what SWAT really does. Um, you know, they are a lot of times brought in and work very closely with homicide, not only to um, go serve an arrest warrant, but a lot of times they're brought by on a search warrant if they think there's going to be trouble. Um, they also, when people talk about the special weapons and tactics, a lot of those tactics sometimes are undercover surveillance. So mm-hmm. I wanted people to understand uh, that relationship. And also the SWAT commanders that I have known are extremely bright, extremely well-trained, extremely dedicated people, they're not the um, you know big risk takers that everybody sees on television and in the movies and the renegade rebel. They are folks that do it by the book because that's how you keep from getting people killed. Yeah, I know, and you have to be careful. It's you know, I, I like I said, I watch a lot, but I don't believe everything that ever I watch. Um, you have to be able to trust your partner too. You have to feel safe. You have to know your partner has your back, right? 
Cause Absolutely. What happens if they don't? Seriously. Because sometimes you see these programs where the partner is corrupt, and that bothers me too because I don't like that. Well, I, as I told someone, whenever you see a uh, a law enforcement officer being arrested, I've never seen a journalist arrest a law enforcement officer. It's always another cop. Mm. So if you would say, if you can say that uh, Johnny Till, what are his positive traits and what are some of the things he still has to learn? Wow, great question. Uh, positive traits. <laughs> oh, wow, no, absolutely. Positive traits are he doesn't give up. Uh, he absolutely 100% believes in what he's doing, believes in the mission, believes in that he's making a difference, and that's very, very important. Um, and just you can't go to work every day without believing you're doing the right thing. And, you know, as I said, um, do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Even though it's very difficult on him, he knows that, uh, you know, the it's all worth it in the end when you're able to solve that homicide. So that's one of them. Um, he does have a tremendous amount of training and things like that. But so far as things that he needs to learn, uh, he's still young. And as the uh, as a detective in homicide, it's not uncommon for homicide detectives to be working in those units. As I said, sometimes they, for 10 and 20 years, sometimes they turn down promotions and they turn down opportunities to move. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, how much they love what they do. So you can imagine how intimidating it would be to walk in the first day as a homicide detective, especially one who's chronologically young, in addition to being young in tenure, and looking at all those uh, the, all those investigators who have solved dozens of homicides be very intimidating. So he's got a lot to learn about um, politics, about working within the uh, the mm. frame of the department, and also about solving crimes. But uh, I think that readers are excited about uh, learning it with him and seeing how he develops. I'm what what impressed me seriously is the fact that he was respectful and talked to people and showed respect for the higher-ups and didn't take advantage of the fact that they were right there to help him. And and that was impressive, too, because I don't know how true that is in real life either. You would know better. I mean, I see police officers around here. They're tough, but they're really amazing. And there, I, there are some in New York City that get criticized for not, not being so nice. Sometimes you can't help it. So how does, how does Johnny Till keep his temper? Without showing it, how does he show respect to those people that are higher ups? That's why he gets the respect and the help. How did you create that? Because that's really fantastic. Because it's reality. In yeah, reality, really. law enforcement officers work under a um, a rank structure, and you know they recognize that some people make judgment calls that they don't like, but they're mm -hmm. under a rank structure. And I have met so many pastors and youth pastors and little league coaches and mentors uh, who are wearing a badge every day. Law enforcement officers are some of the best people I've ever met. And they care about what they do and they treat mm -hmm. people with respect. And as an investigator, you have to learn to talk to people. That's how you get information. That's how you get everything from information that leads you to um, a suspect to getting a suspect to confess. You know, people that watch uh, too many movies and don't look at the reality shows, if you get a, a jaundiced view. So a lot of times you look at these investigators who finally find the suspect who killed uh, her husband 
or the person in a small community who killed the very popular gym teacher that everybody loved, mm. how do they get them to confess? They're nice to them. And that's the reality of law enforcement, especially for investigators. You have to learn to be respectful and speak with people, and overwhelmingly they do, and that's why they're successful. Well, I, I know from teaching sometimes, I got, you know, I work with about 20 different supervisors, and had my mom not got diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I probably would have been one of those supervisors. And sometimes you have to count to 10 before you say something, too. I was taught that by, by a principal. He says, you ha- you're very placid, you're really good, but I'm tough. He says, but sometimes you have to count to 10 and stand back before you say something, because you have to watch your words, don't you? Because you don't want to say the wrong thing. It might be yeah, and head now just imagine to say something. If, if, yeah. Oh yeah, now just imagine if you say the wrong thing, it might make it difficult to uh to be in the next staff meeting. What happens if you say the wrong thing and you lose the ability to solve a homicide? It's a lot riding There's a on lot it. Of more than, yeah, I know, a lot. So, where do you see him next? And are you going to keep him together with Holly? Is she going to stay or is she going to Oh, I love her? Holly. Holly's awesome. You know, as my wife says, Holly's I a like badass. I like her too. Um, and she's got a whole story, too. You know, we, we hint a little bit about mm-hmm. her prior story. Yeah. She's not only an excellent cop, but she was an undercover narcotics agent for a long time. So we're going to learn a lot more about Holly going forward. And, and they play well off each other. I think they have a, a lot of mutual respect. Uh, they, they help each other as they're, uh, you know, investigating these crimes. So, yeah, I think Johnny and Holly are going to be uh, partners for a while. That is good. Are they going to have a romantic thing like, you know, typical television, or are you just going to keep it work work kind of thing? No, we're going to make it uh, reality-based. And uh, Holly's married, and uh, we're going to learn more about her life. And, you know, you never know. You might have an entire series just about Holly. Uh, we've had a lot of feedback from people that they're very excited about her being a very, um, very confident, very competent, um, female officer who's got her own career that she's developing. Um, mm-hmm. Very interesting, having been an undercover agent and things like that. So people want to learn more about her. So, you know, who knows? She might get her own series. That, that is very, very true. So this is a question that I've been asking a lot of people, I'm getting some interesting answers. It's hard to write a character in a series. Um, John Land has um, Caitlin Strong, and Charles Salzberg has the man in, uh, has one, and um, J- Alan Topol has Craig Page, and C. Berry has Cotton Malone. There's a lot of, and Vincent Zandri has a lot of different people. How do you keep it interesting so that the character in a series it doesn't become like another book and another murder? That you make it interesting so if somebody wants to read it. I've read a lot of books of characters in the series, and they go, oh, God, why me? Why again? It's just another murder. It's just another thing. So how are you going to keep him fresh so that everybody wants to read more Johnny Till? Because I do. Well, and I appreciate that. So think about the people in your life that call mm-hmm. you up and say, I want to have dinner, and you're excited. Yeah. You want to learn more about them. How are they changing? How are they advancing? What's happening mm-hmm. in their lives? Are they um, doing things that are exciting to you? So I think it's important as you know the storylines go on and as we introduce new characters, every character has to have a place. They're, you know, It's kind of like setting a table. You don't put a screwdriver on the table when you're serving mm-hmm. steak. It doesn't belong. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, you know, the knife and fork have to match. 
There has to be a playoff of them, and everything on that table has to be there for a reason and do something. So I think that um, there's a lot of experience for me to draw on. Now we're looking at Mm -hmm. well over 30 years that I've been involved in law enforcement in one way or another. I've taught cops from uh, probably nine different countries and gotten to know them, and there's a lot of personalities uh, that I've mm-hmm. met along the way, and I mm-hmm. have a lot to draw on, still keeping them true to the reality of what law enforcement does. That's hard sometimes to deal with lots of personalities because everybody's different. So it's amazing that people can work together. Some have strong, some have weak, some have nasty, some don't. So what type of case is he going to handle next? Because what's next next for him? Well, you know, if you look at um, well, kind of where, I, where I'm where I'm thinking about for Johnny. Um, now you're the young detective. You've established your reputation, and how does that affect you? Does it make you cocky? Yeah. Does it make you overconfident? It could also have the other effect. It could make you say, "Hey, am I the one hit wonder?" But you know, when you walk into that homicide unit every day, you've got to prove yourself every day. Whether it's the suicide that the family really wants to make sure it wasn't a murder or it's the real whodunit uh, where you've got to go out and catch a bad guy before they do it again. So, you know, the other thing that is, I think, very uncomfortable for him is whether he was working as a hit-and-run fatality investigator or a homicide detective, I don't know that he's very comfortable being in the public spotlight in this case because of the... Um, the death of the law enforcement officer and the sex trafficking ring is attracting a lot of attention, and and it predictably would attract a lot of attention going forward. I think the hardest thing for an officer would be if he had to actually kill kill uh, kill somebody, you know, the the criminal. That must that must play on a person's mind. Well, I've represented over a hundred law enforcement officers who have been involved in officer-involved shootings, and I can tell you, none of them ever wanted to take a life. And it changes their lives forever. It's it's hard. I mean, even if you're justified, and most likely they probably are justified, it's 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 just like you don't want to be the one to do it, and yet sometimes you have to you you have to be the one. But then there's an investigation that comes afterwards to make sure that it was okay. Well, and that's what my book One Cops Kill is about. All the profits from yeah. One Cops Kill and. Um, Blue News go to law enforcement charities and also uh, peacemaking, which is about a cop's walk with Christ. Um, it's it's not just if they've taken a life. Um, I've had officers who were changed forever because somebody died in their arms. I could imagine. That's scary. Okay, people, this show is live now. I just made it go live. If my if my phone will let me. Um, so where can we learn more about you? And I just emailed um, several law enforcement people to see if they will do a panel show with me in February. And I emailed uh, your publicist who's listening. Hi. And um, I, will get, I will give him a date because I think this would be a cool idea to find out how different types of law enforcement handle different types of cases in different places. So where can we learn more about you and your work? And um, when is the next one coming out so I know when I'm getting it? No, seriously. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Okay, so so far as learning more about my work, um, you can go to my website, which is LaRussoLawFirm.com, L-O-R-U-S-S-O, LawFirm.com, or BlueLineLawyer.com. 
for my books, you can go to bluelinelawyer.com or Lance LaRusso Books. And uh, I, we do a lot of work with um, firefighters and police. I have um, not only the uh, books about police, I have a book that I just came out with called Firefighters in the Hot Seat for Firefighters oh, nice. and uh, Internal Affairs Investigations. So it kind of lets them know how to navigate those. And we're getting some very, very good reviews by some very seasoned firefighters. I just had a review that came in from a firefighter who just retired. He said, boy, I wish I had this the first day I worked. So all the profits from firefighters in the hot seat will go to firefighter charities. And, you know, so far as the next book coming out, it's, uh, you know, we're always working on something. So uh, when we have it at release date, we'll let you know. I want to know, I definitely, because I want to schedule another interview because I've got to learn more about this guy. Thank you. I appreciate your comments. I'm really glad you enjoyed the book, too. Well, I'll tell you, be very honest, I I haven't enjoyed very many lately. (laughs) Um, I I, I am trying, struggling to think about, I have a 600-page medical book to read, and I told the publicist, please not me, spare me the pain, and they won't spare me the pain. He (laughs) thinks I can do do it. I probably can, but I really don't want to. I I just prefer reading, you know, books about real characters and the medical profession in COVID-19. I really don't want to read about that. But I said I would do him a favor, but he's going to have to wait. (laughs) Murder comes first and other things come first that are happy. But I want to thank you so much. This has been great. And I will get in touch with David and tell him, you know, when uh, I get in an answer from the other two law enforcement officers that uh, when in February, when when we could do this, because I would think that would be interesting. After the new no, year, I really appreciate different. that. I think you will learn a lot. I think one of the things your listeners will learn is it's not like it is on TV. They don't argue and fuss with each other. That's what I'm saying. And, and like I said, you know, if if you're a detective in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and you get a phone call from a detective in Houston, Texas, who says, hey, I've got a homicide or I've got information on a homicide that might help you, they're all ears. They work together, and they realize that there's a common mission to keep people safe. Well, everyone, this has been great. The, the stop raining. Delta's gone, the hurricane. She left, thank God. And it's beautiful outside. And everybody have a great day. And thank you, Lance. Everybody have a great day. And bye.